Hi, it's Sue Stiles, uh, founder of Maximized Results Business Consulting. And you know, in my role as business coach, I meet so many interesting people and you never know the stories that you're going to hear, the lessons, the wisdom that people have learned. And so in my role as host for Hindsight's 2020, today I want to um, chat and introduce you to Nolan Mathias, the owner, co-owner with his wife of Mortgage360. They're changing the world through mortgages. And he is a wonderful, energetic entrepreneur. Uh, good, good day, Nolan. Uh, thanks for talking to me and, and the viewers today. Hey, Sue. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to put this little interview together. Well, I have really enjoyed chatting with Nolan, and um, he has so much wisdom to share for such a young guy. So let's just jump right in because I want to talk about business. You have grown your business and, and feel free to share a little bit about that. Um, tell me what have been your best results for getting clients and business? Well, you know, again, thank you again for, for doing this. I think when it comes to getting business and results, we played with absolutely everything. And the one thing we've found consistently to be the easiest and the most fun has always been dealing with people that we know, like, and trust, or people that know people that we know, like, and trust. So uh, referrals from realtors that we that we know and love, uh, referrals from past clients, sphere of influence. We just found that when it comes to bang for the buck and having the most fun in our business, and you know, let's call a spade a spade. We don't get into businesses to serve a business. We get into businesses to have a business that serves us, and and part of that is is really having a great time helping clients and to find the clients that we have the most fun with. It's, it's really one-on-one -on -one, uh, connections with people that have a direct relationship in some way, shape or form to us, either through somebody else or, or directly. So I'm hearing kind of the old fashioned relationship building approach is actually been the best thing working for your company. What are, what uh, what has been some of the worst things that you've tried, if you have any any there? <laughs> um, I think anytime we've we've gone towards Google Ads or buying leads or Facebook ads, like we've tried it all, we played in all those realms just to see what would happen. But every single time we get into that sort of scenario, it always ends up being um, very expensive, very time consuming, and like I said, not a lot of fun. Um, in the days of in of the internet. You know, people are very well educated once they're online and um, when they start to know everything about price and getting the lowest rate and getting um, and getting the best deal, but they don't necessarily research what the best deal comes or comes with, like what the terms and what all the other things that can haunt them 10, 15, 20 years down the road are going to be. Um, it turns into really tough conversations where you're trying to re-educate people who already feel like they're educated and they don't find it fun, we don't find it fun, and ultimately just never seems to be a match. So interesting, I hear uh, similar experiences, yet we're always looking for something newer and easier, aren't we? Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you look back over your career, what, you know, what have you learned, or what are you thankful that you've done that's turned out to be good? I mean, you, you know, you try something you don't always know at that moment, but is there anything that's um, turned out to your benefit over the years? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things. There's, I, I ran a real estate company. I've written a couple of books. The, the one that really stands out in my mind, though, is, the, is writing golf balls don't float. Uh, a book that I wrote 
far too early in life, uh, long before I should be writing a book about business and, and life principles. But it was it was really important to me. I was a junior golfer. I had uh, I competed nationally and had a back injury at about age 15, which cost me a, a full ride scholarship to university and, and a bunch of other things. Uh, but I felt like I had these 20 years on the golf course and putting them into a format where you know I could learn from them and other people could learn from them is is one of probably one of my greatest accomplishments and had likely the biggest impact on, on my business and my life to this point. Wow, impact how? Well, I mean, one from a business standpoint, when you become the mortgage broker who's, you know, just some punk kid at uh, 21, 22, 23 years old, but you've written a book and you become the golf mortgage broker, uh, it, it really creates a name for you. And I think that's important when you're, when you're in a commission sales uh, business entrepreneurship role, role is like, what are you known for? Uh, so it really helped from that point of view, but it also helped significantly from the point of view of just like, being able to frame my own thoughts at a, at a young age and try to, you know, take in all the information I was getting and all the lessons I was getting and, and use them as a foundation to, to build out the, the business that we have now and the lifestyle that we have now. Good for you. I know there's so many people who feel like you have a book in you. Go ahead and at least write it out. It's a, it's a good exercise. Now, so you said you ran um, a brokerage. Tell me about that. Was that a good thing, a mistake? Yeah, so real estate, a real estate company. It wasn't actually a brokerage. I, I ran the brand for Maxwell Realty, so the corporate office, which had 19 franchises underneath it. And, you know, it was, it was a really interesting experience. Truth be told, what was happening was uh, – we had a lot of friends that worked for Maxwell Realty and they weren't really happy with the, the leadership at the time. Not the co-founders, not Ron, Ron Standers and Dick Oaks who were happy with those two, uh, but with another gentleman who had ended up running the company. And I could see that this was happening and I kind of went into Ron Standers' office one day and said, you know, if you guys are ever looking at selling this, kind of thinking that that might have been what they were thinking, uh, I'd really like a chance, an opportunity to, to make a bid at it. And the next day they... Dick phoned me. I, I landed in New York City. I was there on a, on a trip and I landed and when I got off the plane, there was a message from Dick and he said, yeah, the company is for sale and we'd be interested in selling it to you. Uh, we did a whole bunch of negotiations back and forth. Uh, ended up about six months after that initial phone call. Uh, I decided I wasn't really willing to try to purchase it and he threw a curveball at me, which was one of the greatest experiences of my life he uh he said why don't you just run the company for a year and after a year if you think you want to run it and buy it you can buy it at the price we negotiated now and if not you know what uh, we go our separate ways and uh no harm no foul we eventually decided to go our, our separate ways but what i realized in running that company was um was two things one was i was getting an mba on somebody else's dime i'd never run a 400 person company I realized that comes with a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that you have to deal with, maybe that I wasn't prepared to deal with, and maybe that I don't ever want to deal with again. Uh, but the other thing I, I realized was, you know, a four hundred person company is a big ship to turn, and I knew that I wanted to do something uh, that changed the world, something that you know, a company that basically made the world better in some way, shape, or form, whether it was small or big or huge or massive. Uh, and I realized that I couldn't turn a 400 person ship and get it to do the things I wanted to do as easily as I could just take our little mortgage company that was doing very, very well and still is doing very, very well and use that as the platform to build what I really, really wanted to build. Wow. 
what a interesting education getting your feet wet with um not the risk of having to buy a place good for you and it's the reason why today mortgage 360 is a company that is small and mighty we do a very large amount of volume for a very small number of people and the reason why we do that is because the people who work with us they are 100 percent bought into the concept they've helped develop the concept and they know exactly what our purpose is and they come to work every day knowing what uh, what foot to put in front of the other in order to make that purpose a reality nice mm -hmm. now when you look back do you have any mistakes that you you look back and go yeah wasted time or wasted money there um, that weren't to your benefit? Yeah, and I, I think we, we talked about this before and I, I can't re really remember what we had talked about previously, but um, you know, as far as wasted time goes, I don't, I don't think I've ever ran into a scenario where I really felt like the time was wasted. Um, you're, you're, I believe you, you know, you're, either, you're either succeeding or you're learning. Uh, my, my father told me when I was really young, uh, what his father told him, which was, you know, it doesn't matter what choice you make as long as you make it the right choice. So I don't think I have any regrets on, on anything that we've done or like I've lost ground doing anything, but I feel like all of them have been huge learning lessons that have gotten us to the point where we are now and, and created a pretty strong foundation. Nice. I hearing this so often from business owners and leaders, they really have this ability to take um, the past and learn from it. And so um, that feeling like there were no mistakes because I needed all of those things to get where I am now. Now, I mean, I make so many mistakes on a daily basis that for me to remember all of them it, it is impossible. I mean, I, I probably just put them out of my mind and pretend like none of them ever happened, right? <laughs> nice. Now, when you and I first um, met and chatted over coffee, you told me a story that I'm hoping you'll uh, be open to share here about um, an untimely visit to the hospital for you. And uh, I think that carries some weight with it. Um, so go ahead if you wouldn't mind sharing what happened to you. Yeah, so what had happened was I got to, I kind of got to face death without actually having to face death. I mean, I thought because of the circumstances that I was facing it when I actually wasn't. Uh, what had happened was um, I'd, I'd come down with a, like a paralyzation of, of half of my face. And usually that indicates one of two things, at least from what I'm told by the doctors now. Uh, one is it's either Bell's palsy, which is an unexplainable but totally non-life-threatening condition, uh, or it can be a stroke, which is obviously really life-threatening. And how they tell the difference between um, Bell's palsy and a stroke is if you have Bell's palsy, your entire side of your face will go... No, go limp. Um, you won't be able to move it. If uh, if you have a, if you're having a stroke, it's usually from about the cheek down, and that's how they tell in in triage which condition you have. The problem for me was I was showing instead of from my eye down or from my cheek down, I was showing from my eye down, and my forehead could could totally move. One of the big ways they diagnose uh, Bell's palsy is if you can move your forehead it's probably a stroke, not Bell's palsy. If you can't move your forehead, it's definitely Bell's palsy. So they weren't sure. Um, they kind of thought it was Bell's palsy, but they kind of thought it could be a stroke. So, you know, you walk into Rocky View Hospital and there's a big sign that says it's four hours to see a doctor. Uh, I went up to the, to the triage nurse, had a letter from the doctor I'd seen about 15 minutes before that. Um, 
and handed it to her. They took me in and she said, you know what, I'm going to have you in a bed right away. Uh, within 20 minutes, I was in a bed. Within 30 minutes, I was in a CT scanner, which is one of the most freaky experiences you've ever had if you've never been in a CT scanner before. And about 10 minutes after that, I was told by the nurses that they could see that the doctor had looked at my CT scans and he should be down in about 10 to 15 minutes. Now, the nurses know what to look for in a stroke. They can see the CT scans. They know what a stroke looks like. Um, it's basically a black dot on, uh, on the scan. And they knew that it was Bell's palsy. Like, the nurses could diagnose that. And they knew that it was no big deal. And they figured the doctor would be down and just get me the heck out of there because I didn't need to be taking up a bed. Well, about an hour passed and I started wondering, okay, where's the doctor? Two hours passed doctor still isn't there. Three hours passed, doctor still isn't there. And at this point in time, about two o'clock in the morning, the nurses start talking about moving somebody to neurology. And as soon as they say that, um, of course, the instant thought is they're talking about me. So I'm sitting there almost four hours by the end of it going, where's the doctor? And thinking, okay, he either went and saved somebody's life, he went on a lunch break and forgot about me, or he's consulting neurology and I'm screwed. Uh, of course, when you are faced with those three options, you immediately gravitate towards the worst one. So I had probably about a 20 to 30 minute experience where I assumed that I was going to die probably in the next five hours to 30 days and started going through all of the things that I could, that I needed to do in my life and, and whatever time I had left. I started thinking about my son, started thinking about business, and most importantly, I started thinking about how do I make the biggest impact I can while I'm still here. Um, turns out it was just Bell's palsy. They gave you some, uh, they, or they give you steroids for that. Um, turns out roid rage is a real thing. Asked my wife about when I was buying her Justin Timberlake concert uh, tickets for her birthday and screaming at her at exactly the same time and having like a out of body experience going, Nolan, what the heck are you doing? Um, but yeah, it was totally fine. But it was, it was an amazing life changing experience because I got to face up against that. You know, what happens if the end is tomorrow? And that really changed our life and really, really changed our business. Um, the last year and a half since that happened, our, our business has made leaps beyond what I ever thought it would make in a 10 year period, period, let alone a 12 to 18 month period. And, and what, so what did you do to make those changes? Is that about taking more risk or being more clear or tell me, what what made that manifest yeah i mean luckily we had we had gotten real clear on our purpose um, or i had gotten real clear on my purpose back in 2014 so i already knew where the um what the target was and and what the guiding force was but what it did is it made me realize that we needed to move the needle faster and further and when you know that you need to move the needle fast and far you begin to be able to figure out what the priorities are and you start to triage things like what, what will get us for this fastest instead of just, you know, messing around with things that might move the needle just a little bit. Um, so we did a few things, right? We, um, we realigned our company uh, from a purpose perspective. We've been looking for a couple of years at doing something called B Corp certification, which is basically the highest level of certification a company can get around. Um, accountability, transparency, and social and environmental impact. Um, we, I pretty much immediately started um, started shifting the company into um, into becoming a B Corp and and changing the way we did things so that we could become B Corp certified. We we in February became the first almost actually now that I think about it, 
it was a year within four days of a year of me going in the hospital that we actually got our B Corp certification. The first time I ever realized that is right now. Wow. Um, and then that just from there became the, you know, the, the foundation of everything we do moving forward. We, um, we know if it's in line with our B Corp certification and we know if it's in line with our values, that's something we do. And if it's not, we throw it out pretty fast nowadays. So um, when we have talked about running a lean and mean, you know, um, doing the highest job with the least amount of crap around it. How has that come to be in your company then with your team that you have? What have you found to be helpful when you're running a lean and mean ship? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've talked about since, uh, since we started working together was in September of 2018, we had 12 people um, as of, as of, basically June of this year, we have four people. And what we realized was, you know, we had this vision, we, we had this purpose, and we realized that we were building a company that we really loved and that we really believed in, but that not necessarily everybody else in our organization believed in. Mm -hmm. So it took, a, it took quite a while, but we slowly started to, you know, just continue to be who we're being and be the company that we are and that we're becoming. And as a result, people started to either fall off or we asked a couple to leave because they clearly didn't have the same values as us. And once we're able to focus on the values and whether people were 100% bought in or not, um, we were able to essentially, you know, get rid of the distractions and make sure that we were able to move forward with the people we had. And as a result, you know, 12 people down to four, that's, um, that's two thirds of our, our sales force was gone. And as a result right now, we're up about 19% in revenues, even with those less people, which I don't even know how to calculate it out to profits yet. Um, because we haven't done it, but, uh, the impact on profits is significant way beyond 20%. Isn't that interesting that you can decrease the amount of sales force and yet see an increase in the profit. So, I mean, that goes to running lean and mean. Now, profits, I really liked what you had mentioned something that you've shifted your ideology around profits and you've got a different equation that you're using in your business. Yeah, so I was reading a book called Profit First and I should have looked up the uh, author. I'm really horrible at remember, remembering authoring, author's names, but uh, I'm good at remembering concepts. and. Uh, one of the key lines in that book was that the old accounting methodology of determining profits and, and revenues is wrong. And, and the old methodology is revenues minus expenses equals profits. And what, what this book does is it kind of flips that idea on its head and it says the real way that you should be determining um, your company's finances is by saying, okay, revenues minus profits equals expenses. And when you take your revenues and you subtract a preset amount of profits, say it's 5, 10, 15, 20%, it leaves you with the amount of money you have left to operate the business. And when you only have a certain amount left, it creates a scenario where you have to be more, more creative, you have to get smarter about how you're spending your money, and it creates a, a company where even if you had the worst year ever, because you've been taking profits off first, you're still making money and you don't have to worry about being you know, financially unstable. And, and to me, that was a, 
that was an eye opener. You know, revenues minus profits equals expenses. Like, I wish I would have known that 15 years ago. So interesting, just that change of mindset. But I mean, a really old book that I read again this year, The Richest Man in Babylon, you know, you want to learn how to get rich. And he talks about um, you have to pay yourself first. You know, we've heard it in all different scenarios. It's just so hard to implement or people just don't implement. They think it's too simple of a message. Just like, oh, the easiest way to build business is through relationships. Oh, it's too simple of a message. No, these are the things that actually work. So you pay yourself first, you take off your top 10%, you take off your profits first, and it forces the business to run on the rest of it. Exactly. It's funny how we, we teach pay yourself first for personal financing or personal finances, but we don't teach that for businesses. Yeah. Hello. I think, I think Profit First is a must read, uh, a must read book for anybody who's getting into the real estate industry or who is in the real estate industry or who is struggling in the real estate industry, like that should be mandatory reading to be yeah. part of the licensing course. Yes, that sounds good to me. I will endorse that message. Um, now, looking forward, um, you're approaching some new ideas and, and you've, you've got other ideas in your head. And I know lots of people always have lots of ideas. What is your process to determine whether you should go forward with something? How do you test something out like you are right now yeah yeah i mean when you when you look at employees right uh i'll never forget first time i ever heard hire hire slow fire fast was kevin o'leary and it turns out it's a i can't attribute him to that quote uh because it turns out it's a well-known quote but i feel like when you're implementing new ideas in a business it's the exact same policy try Try slow and then quit fast. You know, make sure the ideas are are kind of thought out, well thought out. And then if they don't work, quit as fast as you can. And if they do work, double down on it. Uh, we've, you know, we've done, we've made some pretty risky business moves in the past. Ones that were we didn't know if they were going to work or not. Uh, for example, I have a, about a fourteen thousand dollar a year cookie budget, like actual edible cookie, cookies. Um, and we send those out to clients whenever they fill out an application and, you know, everyone I approached with approached on that basically said, you're crazy because those people are filling out an application. You don't know if, um, you don't know if they're actually going to close on the deal. You don't know if you're just spending 25 bucks sending them cookies for nothing. And what we realized was one, if we tried it and it didn't work, we could quit fast. Um, but what we realized after we tried it for a while was, you know, those cookies have saved us dozens of deals. So when I look at, when I look at spending $14,000 and I, let's say it saves me 10 deals a year, that's a $30,000 return. Wow. Um, we know factually, like we've had clients where we've sent them, they filled out the first part of the application, not completed the application. They automatically get the cookies anyways. Um, and then they come back to us and say, you know, I wasn't going to fill out the rest of the application. I went and applied with so-and-so down the street. Um, but I really appreciate that you did something for me. So I'm going to finish the application with you. And it's like, you know, was it expensive to send those $25 cookies? Yeah. Um, was it expensive to send them without expectation? Yeah. But did it, does it pay off? Absolutely. A hundred percent. There's something to that law of reciprocity. Mm -hmm. it, it makes people feel like that. And when you follow it up and they actually talk to somebody on your team, I'm sure that just confirms the value. 
you know, that's there. So, <laughs> excuse me. If you, um, so, you know, I'm wanting to share the wisdom, hindsight, when you look back, if you were to give some last words, um, uh, you know, looking back at everything, do you have anything to share that um, what could inspire somebody else or help somebody else uh, just as we sort of wrap up? Yeah, um, there's a couple of things. But, you know, one thing that I do want to mention is best for the world B Corp certification. So um, B Corp has is obviously the organization that does certifications for the best companies in the world, Patagonia, Tom Shoes, um, Method Cleaners. Uh-huh. And they just announced the best for the world. And, and we've been categorized with in the top 10% of these 2,600 companies that are, um, that are doing amazing things to be better for the world. And, you know, to answer your question with that being the segue into it is I think if, you know, I was going to give advice or, or, you know, talk about our experience, the best thing that I can say for, uh, for the real estate industry and for the mortgage industry is, is if you're planning on creating a team or creating a brokerage or creating a business, make sure that every single person that walks through the door um, is walking through the door for a purpose and that you can guarantee that they're going to have the success. So in other words, just don't hire people to see who sticks to the wall and, and say, here's your commission split and we hope you do well. We'll see in six months. Like really make sure that if somebody's walking through the door, you're giving them the opportunity to succeed and you're giving them the tools to succeed. And, and, you know, I'd even go so far as to say that one thing I'd like to see change in the real estate model and the mortgage model is I'd like to see brokerages have to, or, or offer to provide a, provide a living wage for every single person who walks through the door. If somebody wants to take the risk on your brokerage and become a commissioned salesperson, uh, take the risk on them. And if you believe in them, give them the opportunity to succeed by not making it a trial by fire sort of scenario. Yeah, boy, is it ever like that? It's such an industry that used to have more, you know, when the real estate industry started, people were more like that salespeople at a company, but they wanted more and more ownership. And now everybody owns it. And so many people suffer. Of course, the failure rate for realtors is 87% in the first five years. Mm-hmm. So something is not working out that well and, and causing a lot of grief, which is why I have a career, you know, helping people every day. They need the help. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much for giving the interview. And I think it's been really interesting. Um, those best companies in the world, that's something new. I don't think a lot of people have heard of yet. So I'd encourage everyone to look it up and congratulations for being in the top 10%. That is fantastic. And being such a a young entrepreneur who's running a lean and mean ship and making your dreams come true. So thank you, Nolan. Thank you, Mortgage360. Everyone's going to want to uh, apply online for those cookies, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) If you're thinking of a mortgage. And until next time, Thanks for joining me on Hindsight's 2020. And for for today, that's a wrap. See you next time. Take care. Bye for now.